0: The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers.
1: From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. It is that time again. and We'd like to welcome you back to the program Afternoons with Mike. Heard here on the Shepherd across the Shepherd radio network in the studio with me today. Meeting him for the first time is Sean Cooper. Hello, man! It's great to have you, Sean. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, now I, I wrote down just a few bits of your bio, but basically, you lead a nonprofit called USA Unites, correct? And and uh, that engages. This is what I'm interested in hearing. Uh, that will be in our next segment, but. You engage the next generation of peace builders. You're going to love it when we get to that. It's Man, really cool. I want to hear yeah, all about yeah. that. That was intriguing. Okay. I, I know uh, all about reaching and passing the baton to the next generation, but you have a specific role for that next generation in mind. I can't wait to hear it. You were also a pastor at Northland Church from 96 to 21 crazy I spent
0: quite a number of years there
1: 25 years absolutely you look way too young for that thank you I
0: appreciate you, that you
1: started being a pastor at age five
0: <laughs> I wish <laughs> uh, almost almost you know in fact <laughs> interestingly enough um my background uh my grandfather was a church planter in fact he was a uh, uh a pilot uh and and planted churches in the Turks and Caicos kind of West Indies area. Oh my goodness, area. yeah. And so that's sort of like my way background and then my my parents were Where also Where was he based
1: going back to him?
0: So crazy enough he was based on in South Caicos which now is like gorgeous oh, like it's beautiful. international yeah. airport and um tourist destination at that time though there was nothing not even an airstrip
1: um no hotels nothing. Did he land uh, on a non-air strip on okay, that island? Okay, well, this,
0: since we're going there, this is a cool story. Yeah, I, I no, got to hear a I'm cool very story. intrigued by this. So when he, he and my grandmother went there, uh, at the time, he was not a pilot. And so what he actually did is he would go uh, use just a, a boat with an outboard motor and go from island to island and just talk to people and eventually plant churches in the islands around the Turks and Caicos area. Well, it was extremely time consuming, took a lot of time, very bumpy. Um, This was back when mail was delivered like once a month on the island and supplies would come in once a month. So um, he was pretty much, they were way out there. Uh, And as the story goes, as I heard growing up, uh, the pilot came with, with mail and some supplies and food. And as he was leaving, the pilot asked my grandfather, "Is there anything else that you need?" Uh, and my grandfather said, "Yeah, I need an airplane." Um, and they kind of laughed, and and uh, the pilot said, "Well, d- do you know how to fly?" And he said, "No, I need you to send me an instructor too." And so <laughs> they that is
1: some pretty big
0: requests, right? Right? And so you know, maybe the rules were a little different back then. He didn't even go back to the U.S. to be trained. They sent. Um, an, a plane with an instructor and took all of his testing um, and basically he would island hop. And so my dad also tells some crazy stories where, you know, they would land on beaches that were never meant to be landed on um, and and often, you know, quite scary. And then my grandfather would leave and leave my dad and his best friend on the island and tell him I'm going to be back in two days make sure that this area is cleared for when I land again. And if it's not, you guys are going to stay here another two days. (laughs) And, And so my dad tells great stories of growing up in those islands. And of course they would horse around and fish and do everything, but what my grandfather had asked. And, uh, and then they'd hear the plane coming and just scramble because they didn't want to sleep another two days on the Island. So
1: (laughs) yeah, that's kind of my background. Yeah. Oh, that is the craziest story I think I've ever heard. I want to be a pilot. No, I don't have any training. I don't have a plane. Can you send me a plane and a pilot? Right. So how did he end up buying his own plane then? it was given to him Why? just just through some people that were
0: generous oh my um, goodness yeah I've got you know again passed along to me from my dad and 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 my aunts just amazing pictures of black and white stuff you know back when he would be standing next to this plane so proud um so yeah it was uh just so it's, it's clearly day. a
1: four-seater at least then right? yeah four-seater yeah and
0: um Cessna engine, you know. I, I don't know a lot about those planes.
1: I've I've flown in a couple before, but yeah, um pretty amazing. Yeah, that's a, that's incredible. I've flown in a lot of Cessnas. Okay. 172 and 182 and even a two hundred ten. But uh the those those planes are great. Uh, yeah. you know, they're they're just wonderful I, planes. I think they
0: were perfect for what he needed. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds
1: yeah. like it. My goodness. That's, that's quite an exciting story. Well, that is a colorful background that you have. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, then in the, fast forward, I think to your point, like what got me kind of involved in, in ministry. Then I grew up actually in Brazil, South America. My parents were missionaries there, did a lot of work in the universities, teaching English. And um, so from the age of three to about nine, I uh, grew up kind of near Sao Paulo, so big city. I never, not until a couple years ago did I ever see the Amazon. So I grew up in big city, Brazil, uh, and so that's kind of, that's sort of, you know, some of the background that got me over the years connected to the family story of ministry.
1: Now, was your dad one that knew Spanish or so, Portuguese? Yeah, or? Portuguese. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, they had to learn, and, and it's also, you know, yeah. funny stories. Um, I did not go to school to learn Portuguese, but I picked it up on the street Twice as fast as they did.
1: There's something Uh, about your family, man. Uh, Your your grandfather becomes a pilot almost by osmosis, right? Right, and is given an airplane, right? And then you pick up a language like Portuguese. I know
0: it's crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so,
0: I mean, also funny stories. I mean, you know, when you learn English on or Portuguese on the street versus in a classroom, I also knew all the curse words before mm. my parents did mm-hmm. uh and so they would always laugh and they loved to embarrass and tell stories of you know um I, driving down the road and i would just drop a curse word or two not really knowing it was a bad word and other brazilian friends being in the van and they would just they knew die, it. You know, they would die laughing because my parents had no idea and they you know my parents would ask like what did he say and they were like we can't tell you yeah. just <laughs> he shouldn't say that <laughs> my goodness
1: Oh, that's uh that's quite a story. I've never been down there, but I hear it is beautiful. Yeah, you need to go. It is beautiful. Yeah. It's tricky. Brazil has had some struggles
0: economically and then of course that's impacted a lot of some of the safety, you know.
1: So it's it's not a easy place to travel to these days. But so it's your beautiful. dad went from really just kind of fishing and having a great time on the beach waiting for his grand, his dad to come back and but he ends up in in the missions work himself. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's right. And did he continue doing that for years?
0: You know, his, his passion was always youth as well. And so what, what really got me intrigued with youth ministry and then sort of got me involved, you know, in the undergraduate work that I did, uh, to become a youth pastor. Um, yeah, he, even in Brazil, a lot of the work was with, uh, mostly university students, and then when we came back to the U.S., he got involved with Youth for Christ. Um, he actually had a radio show for a while up in Ocala. Is um, that right? Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm remembering, sitting here in front of you, yeah. thinking about that. And, um, and again, all of it focused on youth, you know, and talking about issues that students were facing. Uh, he's started um, some nonprofit work that he's done. And he's actually now uh, with an organization that he started called I'll Go. I-S-L-E, like island, I'll go. Oh, okay. And so he, I think just between him and my mom over the years, it finally kind of the light bulb went on and they realized they have so much relationship in um, not just the West Indies, but in the Caribbean and in South America. And so they began to take teams on trips. And so they do short-term trips just about year round. Hmm. Yeah, you've been on a few of those, I bet. Man, I've been on a few of those, <laughs> <laughs> and those are
1: great, aren't they?
0: They are great, you know. And I think the key to them, like anything, is there's always some some uh, some pros and cons. And I think one of the negatives that's often kind of labeled to short-term missions is if you come in and out of those spaces um, without some long-term relationship and plan then it can feel like it it doesn't really take root very well mm-hmm. in the work. And so I think what, what my dad learned over the years and what he's implemented is just building good, strong relationships with the locals. And so um, people who go on the short-term missions trips, they're really building on all the trips before them. And so, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I think it works well. You know, I've said this many times, even on my own program here, that short-term trips... from my experience, really give the person who's going uh, a deeper, more profound, uh, I I guess you could just say a blessing in their life, an unexpected benefit in their life, than whatever it is, the good that they were going to do themselves. You walk away different. Completely.
0: Well, and I think when you're, when you're looking at you know the next generation uh, he's most of the teams he takes probably are high school and college they partner with palm beach atlantic and other Mm. schools and um and so his heart still is very much for how do you engage students to uh experience what you just said to to understand the gift and also the responsibility that comes with having some of the resources that we have in a country like ours And then being able to turn around and uh, be generous in the same way, you know. And so that's a lot of what you're hoping to pass along to that next generation.
1: Well, it's really clear that your dad and your grandfather did a marvelous job of doing what it is that you mentioned. We talked about your nonprofit, USA Unites, about wanting to pass along to the next generation. You were the benefit of that. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting... um, over the years the 25 years that I worked at Northland you know you're always connecting dots you're always trying to figure out these next chapters in your life and um when you have you know 25 years under your belt you start looking back and things look a little more clear sometimes with that hindsight yeah hindsight and uh and looking back I realize no matter what year it was, or or you know, as you spend a lot of time in one place, you get shifted around sometimes to help in other departments. But no matter where I ended up at Northland, it was always about students and how to pour into them and to the parents and families. And so, um, it it doesn't come as a shocker that I'm doing the nonprofit work now. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a natural outflow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what's cool about it is even even connecting to the story of Northland. Um, and we'll get into the nonprofit in a little bit, but but how I got linked into this was, um, you know, back in 2009, we had a partnership with a church in Colombo, in Sri Lanka, and uh, we were doing some projects with them. And through that, I met uh, the pastor's oldest son. His name's Prashan DeVisser, and Prashan grew up in Colombo, where he watched and heard literal terrorist bombings in, in the city, in mm. the in the, mm. in the apartments that, that they lived in. And basically, he grew up uh, really believing uh, that the the other ethnic group, the Tamils, he's Sinhalese, that the Tamils were the enemy, the Tamils were the terrorists, not realizing that's exactly what the Tamils were saying mm-hmm. about the Sinhalese. And so uh, in 2009 went over and helped him do a conference and, and then fast forward to 2021. And as I was transitioning out of Northland, I mentioned to Prashant, cause I'd still been volunteering. We had taken teams on trips back to Sri Lanka and he said, listen, I have no idea what you're going to do next, but you, the door's wide open. If you'd like to come join what's now become global unites and is in 13 different countries. Wow. So yeah,
1: that's really crazy. Go back for a moment before we take a break. Your call into ministry, how early on did you sense that you were going to follow the footsteps of your dad and your grandfather? Yeah, you know, I think
0: for those of us who maybe grew up, even even if it's a business or you're watching, whether it's a family member or an aunt or uncle, or maybe it's a business that you might think you you will follow in those footsteps. I think for a long time I just assumed that's what I would do. And then when I got into high school, my dad in a really cool way, he he was like, "Have you ever thought about doing something else?" Cuz he knew that I'd I'd always been thinking of of doing youth ministry. And at first it really confused me. I was like, "Man, why would he try to talk me out of this?" <laughs> you know? Um but it was his way of really making sure I had thought a lot about the options. And so, you know, I, I explored other ideas but in the end, uh, I think having watched over my short life at the time, and, and but knowing the legacy of my grandfather, just the, the opportunity to pour into the next generation, I couldn't get that out of my head or my heart. I just knew that that was something I really wanted to invest my life into, and so um, from there made the decision to attend uh, school in Columbia, South Carolina, a uh, school now called Columbia International University, which is where I met my wife. And so we got married. I started at Northland in 1996. I can't remember if we talked about this, but then um, jumped into, uh, well, we got married. That was definitely a jump into. Um, <laughs> and we just have had an amazing journey, you know, over those 25 years.
1: What was your study uh, thrust? What was your major called? At Columbia, what did you do? Yeah,
0: at Columbia, you basically do a double major. Um, one is they want you to major in religious and and scripture um, so that you're grounded fully uh, in that standpoint. And then the other major just depends on your interest, and mine was youth ministry. And so at the time, again, through my father, I knew a lot of the great youth uh writers and conference speakers back in the eighties, you know, I mean, these were like, who would be some of those? Oh gosh. I mean, the, the person that really connected with me, um, who eventually actually became the president at CIU was a guy named, uh, Bob Jones actually. Um, and that's uh, an ironic name for South Carolina. I know. Right. Um, and he really like looped me in, but I'm thinking back, I mean, I can literally see the covers to these books and I can't see their names, but this was back when youth ministry was booming. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was an incredible time period, Parachurch organizations were just growing like wildfire. And so... So
1: this 90s we're talking yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, the 90s. And so got involved there, um, had a great roommate that was also studying to be a youth pastor, and we just dove headlong into it. And we're just biting at the bit to
1: graduate and jump in. So that's quite a story. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Sean Cooper. One thing about Sean that we haven't yet talked about is the fact that he's running for an office. Uh, that would be school board in uh, the Orlando area. We'll find out more about that later on as well. Sean is CEO of USA Unites. USA Unites. And that is a nonprofit that is aiming to equip those that are coming up after us to have a heart for peace. We're going to be hearing more from him in a moment. Stay tuned. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. Back again with my guest here in the studio today, Sean Cooper from USA Unites, a nonprofit that uh, he's part of. You've already heard Sean say that he spent 25 years on staff. You know, a lot of the people I knew, Joel Hunter and Vernon Rainwater. Vernon struck me as such a great guy. I interviewed him in 86 when I was with WAJL. And uh, he came in, and we talked about young people. I was a youth pastor for years, and uh, we had so much in common. He was a musician as well, so was I. Absolutely. So we we struck it off, and I I enjoyed that time with him. It was was not a, a conversation that led us into a long, really super close friendship, but a good acquaintance that I always felt. Uh, just endeared to. He's a great he's, guy.
0: He's a good man. In fact, he's the one that hired me at Northland, and uh, and he actually just this past year took on. I don't know if you know this, a great role. He's the chief of
1: staff at Full Sail right now. I did not know yeah, that. Which he's back. He's back. So when last time I talked to him, he had made the move. Right. Right. Exactly. He was out west
0: someplace. He was in Seattle for a period of time. Uh, you probably remember he's a coffee nut. Um yeah. and so a lot of the stuff he was doing had to do with uh this coffee business that also then poured the profits from that coffee business into anti human trafficking efforts. Oh, that's great. And so now he's back at full sale again working with students. So Isn't it that makes something. sense. Yeah. Well I've got to get him up here. Absolutely do it. Yeah, this is cool news. Yeah, he's a good guy. What's his role there? You know what? as chief of staff, the the thing that's really cool that he's been working on. That actually kind of links to what we're talking about here in a second with USA Unites. He and the the president and the staff there are working on how do they engage these incredibly talented artistic students that are going to Full Sail and use that passion uh, to do some incredible things for the community and for our country and for yeah. the world. So they're looking at um, outreach and and ways to connect students to make an impact, which is just awesome.
1: Now, my daughter and my two of my kids, um, in fact, all of my kids at one point or another have been inside the studios over there. It's beautiful. Oh, my goodness. And if people don't realize much about Full Sail or they haven't heard a lot about it, they would be shocked, wouldn't they? About oh, my them?
0: gosh. It is the premier recording uh, sound engineering and now game art. So my daughter's 19. She just finished her first year, uh, at full sale and, and her degree is in game art. Can now you, I
1: know we've got to talk about I, the the, <laughs> uh, the
0: nonprofit, but, uh, explain game art. Well, I'll tell you as a dad, when you hear, you know, one of your kids say they're going to go and, and it's not cheap. So you, no, you as a parent, no. you're always paying attention to that. And, and study game art, at first we were like, is this a real thing? Like, <laughs> I mean, what happened to the days of just going into philosophy? You I know. know? <laughs> right. Uh, but it, what's interesting is around the time that she was making that decision, of course, she was, she ended up having to graduate during the COVID like intense time period. So she was one of those kids that, um, had a very disruptive high school education mm-hmm. the last year yeah. or two. And uh, and then we watched the boom of gaming through a time period like the pandemic. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we realize as parents, hey, it looks like there's a pretty good future in in things like gaming, you know, Um, and so it's here to stay. It's here to stay. And it's an area that um, it it, it can be a tough industry. You know, of course, there's um, there's all types of gaming out there, but violent games tend to kind of hit the radar. But Again, when you think about um, the need to have young people enter those spaces um, who have a heart for making positive impact, that's that's pretty cool. And so we were really- Thank God for that. We were really all for it. And she couldn't, she's so excited. I yeah. mean, she leaves early, she gets home late. I've never seen a human more excited to go to school.
1: Well, again, my daughter cut a, a CD there a couple of years nice. ago. And, uh, one of the producers that's there is a nationally known name, uh, produced a lot of sec, lot of the top secular bands, uh, like deep purple yep. and other, other bands. He's worked with a big variety, not just rock, but with country. And I think he worked with Taylor Swift for a while, uh, big names. And so, uh, he produced Ali's that's CD awesome. and then our good friend, John Yandel is one of their engineers and the professors. Nice. At, at Full Sale. He did all the engineering work. That's cool. So it was, oh, I got to sit there and the Audio Temple is what they the call it. The Audio Temple. Oh, I know. is that cool? Oh my goodness.
0: Well, you know, being the school that they are, they have to have the top gear constantly. Yeah. So it's, it's got all the latest stuff. State of the toys. art. Oh, yeah.
1: And you walk into their storage room. John took me in. Okay, what we well, we can use a guitar in here? Choose something out of here. It's like you got to be kidding me! They've got every guitar hanging on the wall. Yeah, as a kid, yeah, a candy it is, shop. It is definitely that for me. Yeah. So there some fun times at Full Sail. Well, that's great. Yeah. Congratulations to your daughter on her Thank work you. there.
0: Yeah. Look up Vernon. You guys need to hang out. For I'm sure. going to
1: have to call Vernon up and say, Vernon. Let's do lunch, my man. That's great, it. Sean. Let's talk about this thing called USA Unites. Now, a name like that, obviously, it's you think it's national scope already. In you're not saying Castleberry Unite or Seminole County Unite. This is the USA. So you're going for a large, uh, a larger impact over the United States on this. We are. What's and it's even bigger than that, actually. What what
0: excites me is right now Global Unites is the umbrella organization. And under it, there are 13 countries. The U.S. was just added last year. And so USA Unites is one of the newest countries. Uh, in, interesting, uh, Interestingly enough, along with Afghanistan Unites and Israel Unites. Wow. All three of us were added at the same time last year and so when i was rolling off of staff at northland and jumped onto the team there we just felt like when it comes to conflict resolution when it comes to the work of reconciliation and especially uh the challenge that we're facing as a country right now with violence um the timing could not have been more perfect Although that's, you know, you're not looking, you don't want your country to be in that state in order to step into that kind of work. But the reality is coming out of the pandemics. In fact, the training that we do with students, um, we do workshops and my colleague and I, we've done 105 workshops on public school campuses uh, in the, over the last six months. And so we've been really up close and personal with teachers and students And we've been observing the challenges that they're facing in the classroom, in the hallways. Um, The pandemic kind of wreaked a lot of havoc on all of us, Mm -hmm. you know. And so we talked to them about, uh, of course, the physical pandemic that we're still trying to get out of. We talked about the political pandemic. So 2020, you know, we had a lot of intensity around politics. Uh, We talk about the racial pandemic, you know, that was the year that... Uh, Ahmed Aubrey and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor uh, died, and so and then and then we talk about the social pandemic, this this cancel culture that kind of always has been around to a degree, but sort of really caught fire, and uh, the whole idea of building relationships with people that think differently than you just kind of went by the way, wayside, you know, um, and instead of seeing the beauty in our diversity and the opportunity. For us to thrive as a country with so much difference of opinion, instead we let that become an enormous divider, mm-hmm. um, and we began to polarize and attack and uh, dehumanize, sometimes even demonize people, sometimes our own family members, you know. And so the last few years have have really been intense for us as a country, of course. And I I think one of the the things that I love about working with Global Unites and USA Unites is our country's not the only one going through this, you know, there's, there's a divisive, um, disease, a pandemic that's, that's covering the world right now. Um, and it's, it's really causing, um, our best ideas, our best resources, our best talent, even our, our next generation who really is the hope for us, right. Um, when they're disillusioned, when they're losing hope and when they're, unsure about who to even see as models for
1: peaceful resolutions, we got a real problem on our hands. You know, do you feel the church has done enough or could have done more in these areas in terms of, I'm talking about not just a local church, but I'm talking about the church at large, uh, because we have we have a, a, a big problem in America right now with young people who are actually walking back their faith, walking back through... Deconstructing their their uh, belief system, and they're just like challenging everything in their life right now. Right. Well, I
0: I do think that um, there is enormous opportunity right now. And to your question, could have or should have the church done more? I think uh, yes. I I wish we had done more, and and I think there are churches that are that are attempting that. But the reality is there's also sort of a business side to church work these days um, that comes with paying the bills and keeping the doors open. And when you're going through those pandemics that we talked about, and all of a sudden churches online, it's not you know in person any longer, and people are being impacted economically, and pocketbooks are being impacted. All that Obviously, has a trickle effect on tithes and offerings in a church, and um, I think leadership got a little spooked, a little scared, and I I think there's wisdom there too. It's not, um, but I think there's some missed opportunity as well because mm-hmm. the our community is starving for leadership. They're starving for answers, and at a time when I think the church could have really moved in and
1: offered some of that. I think we we got quiet out of some fear. Well, the good news is a lot of churches are waking up to this. Agreed. And I think they're going for it. I think it's happening not just in the small group meetings, but it's also happening from the pulpits. And I think that's going to be making a big change. I couldn't agree with you
0: more. And if you look at it, I mean, since Genesis 1, we've been dealing with pandemics, Hmm. you know, Um, and even some some study I was doing just uh, recently Looking at the first three hundred years of of what was happening, the first three centuries, some pretty significant physical pandemics going on at that time as well. You know, back when when disease, uh, there were there there wasn't a lot of great health treatment for those diseases, and what was really incredible then, and I still think incredible today when we think of the church, is people knew of the church by the way that they treated others Mm -hmm. during those very difficult times when others moved away from those who were diseased, the church moved towards them. You know, um, when, when others moved away from those who were, uh, poor and economically at a different state, um, the church
1: moved towards those people. And I think that's what we need to always remember. I believe. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned that you're going out into campuses, both secular, Uh, high schools, colleges, wherever you go, and you've done all of these workshops, what would be your immediate, let's say, your immediate goal? That's a
0: really good question. So really, I'll I'll tell you the five principles that we teach very quickly. We've made them as easily memorizable as possible, especially when you give some candy, offer some incentives, you know, to (laughs) help the kids remember um, really, what we do is we walk in, and and what we motivate or try to motivate these students to is to say to them, you know, we all understand the problems. We all can point at mental health being an issue, and we we all can agree on on the concerns that we have. But until we start looking internally and actually admitting that we are a part of the problem, and and that's there's no accusation there, there's no judgment. It's just reality that. We all have judgmental, divisive bones inside of hmm. us. Some of it's learned, some of it we watched, some of it we experienced. And so what we do is we come in and say, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great if we were all a perfect 10? But let's just imagine that maybe we're all sort of on a three or a four. What would happen to this campus if we could go from a three to a seven in terms
1: of listening, learning, and leaning in to people who think differently? Yeah, and that's not all that... I mean, that's a, a huge improvement, but it's not perfection either.
0: Exactly, exactly. Because it's a journey. We're all on it, you know? And so the, the five principles are, uh, number one, I will humanize others. So we talk about what does that mean uh, to humanize? What does it mean to dehumanize other people? Uh, how, have you, how have you experienced that yourself? The second, very actionable, is the 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 most powerful action that you can take in humanizing somebody is I will listen to others. And so I'll listen to them intensely. I will lean into them, you know? And so listening is a powerful action to be able to sit in front of somebody and, and realize they have something that probably could teach me about their perspective and maybe even help me in my perspective. So I'll humanize others. I will listen intensely. And we talk to students. It doesn't mean you have to change your convictions or your opinions, it just might mean that you could get even more deeply rooted in your convictions by knowing the other person's convictions. It's, it's a lot of that Stephen Covey, you know, seek first to understand, then to be mm-hmm. understood. Uh, the third one is I will lean into opposing views. So instead of attacking or running away or uh, canceling, what would it look like for us to actually try to understand w- what motivates that person to have that view? Um, the fourth one is... Um, I will exercise slowing down, you know, what does that look like in this day and age, especially in the student culture to just pause and, um, and to take a break. And so we just do some very practical things to help them find uh, life skills that will help them not overreact when tensions surface, but how to, how to appropriately step into situations. We think a lot of A lot of our country could probably benefit from that. And and in fact, I think about it all the time. It's not just something we teach. Um, Whether you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off or, you know, whatever situation that that you find yourself in, there's just so much room to humanize other people if we can stop for a second. So what's number five? Okay, so I will ask challenging questions, which is tricky because even the word challenging can sound like it's a standoff. Like we're going to get nose to nose mm. and, and go toe to toe here. But what we're really trying to engage students with, with asking challenging questions is to not be passive. You know, so often we're just sitting on the sidelines at a time when our country really needs people to engage. Yes, um, And so we're, we're trying to help them to step into situations, whether it's in a classroom or in the hallway or at home, Pay attention to the conversation and then ask a hard question.
1: I love that. Sean Cooper, those five things are wonderful. We'll be back with Sean in a moment. Sean is with USA Unites and we're hearing about their effective outreach and challenge to young people. We'll be back with Sean in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Time is going by quickly today, it always does with such interesting guests as Sean Cooper, CEO of USA Unites also a former pastor at Northland for 25 years and boy that's exciting and we've talked a little bit about your love for soccer so did you play like organized team soccer too? I did uh, in in
0: Brazil it's all street soccer oh, all man. the time yeah 24 it, it, 7 it's no secret why those countries produce the talent yeah. that they do. And then uh, coming back to the U.S., played some organized soccer, played a little bit in college. Uh, and now my son plays with a club here in Orlando called Craze Crush. So I get to sort of live through his mm-hmm. passion for it as well.
1: Have you ever coached?
0: You know what? I haven't, but I think it might be coming. Yeah, I can see where at least assistant coaching and coming along another head coach. I, I think I'd really
1: enjoy that. Now, here's the thing. Do you still play?
0: No, I don't. And I, I'm the guy now who gives the really like lousy excuse that, <laughs> well, it's, it's about my son, you know, right? but, um,
1: we all have only so much time. I right? know, man, it's yeah. too bad. And yeah. plus
0: my knees, they're just not I get quite it. what they used to be. you know. Well,
1: well, you you look like a soccer player still, and that's good. I don't. Uh, I, I look more like a donut. Oh, yeah. no, no, no.
0: <laughs> well, you know, there comes that point where I think you, you do shift gears and it's less yeah. about you and
1: more about the kids and what they want to do. So, I love it. You know, we were talking about USA Unites and how can people find out more about that or a, any uh, type of web connect absolutely. you can give us? Yeah. So
0: you can go to org. You can also. Go to globalunites.org, and there you can see all the different countries, what they're doing, projects that they're involved in, and, uh, and with the USA Unites, that's very specific to what we're doing. We've got a lot that we're excited about. We're writing some new curriculum over the summer to get ready for workshops again in the fall, so we'll be cranking that back up. And then we have a conference that we're going to host in February here in Orlando, you know, Orlando, February is a good time to invite people. It's a beautiful yeah, time to come to exactly. Florida. Exactly. So we'll, uh, we're going to do a conference and invite some students from different parts of the country to come and just learn some basic practical ways that they can not only engage with the principals, but start peace clubs, uh, maybe some after school uh, clubs that they can do at their school. So, yeah. Now
1: talk, uh, if you will, just a moment about that, the peace aspect. What, what do you mean by that? What would you be wanting a student to learn when it comes down to being a peace builder?
0: Yeah, well, first and foremost, as we talked about in the segment before, we really put a lot of emphasis on starting with yourself. You know, I th- we find a lot with with outreach and with serving. There are a lot of people who have, they start with good intentions and they want to help other people. But often you really need to pause and stop and evaluate what's happening inside. Hmm. I mean, I need that all the time. And so we do a lot of work to help them think through what are some ways that they may not recognize some unconscious bias that they have in their life? Uh, What are some ways that there might even be some stereotyping and prejudice that exists in their lives? And again, we approach it in a very non judgmental way. We approach it in a way that says, all of us have these things. No one's exempt, no generation was perfect. Uh, This generation, though, has an opportunity to say, hey, we want it to be a little different. It's It's our time to step into this situation. And so peacemaking, we find, really begins first within yourself. Then we give them practical tools on how to partner with other clubs or organizations that already exist. Rather than starting from scratch, There might be some other things already happening on campus or in your community, so that you want to start from zero. And then we kind of work through a process where eventually, if they don't find anything where they could get involved in their church, in their school, then we can help them start from zero and build a club Mm -hmm. out of their friendships, out of their football team, their theater group, whatever it is.
1: Give us that website one more time.
0: Yeah, so org
1: and globalunites.org. All right. Now we've mentioned this. We've alluded to the fact that you are a school board candidate. Uh, this this is again another new direction for you, and it came as the result of just your own community involvement, but the encouragement of someone who was already a school board member. Right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what happened was I very involved, right in the thick of it with USA Unites just a, a couple months ago, and was having uh, coffee with a f- mutual friend of ours, Andy Serles, mm-hmm. And and I was just explaining to Andy some of the challenges that I had been seeing by doing these workshops and the teacher burnout, you know, and um, the, the behavioral issues and struggles that students were having and just kind of talking about all that. I, I even shared with him a story of how Uh, In the middle of COVID, you know, I I went to a public school and signed in, got my sticker, my volunteer sticker, and as I was passing by this administrative desk going in, there were 15 to 20 bright red three-ring binders all neatly stacked together. I mean, it just totally catches your eye. So I, I asked the administrator, what were those for? And she said, each of those are for a substitute that we need today. Not this just this week. Those are 15 to 20 substitutes we need today, and we don't have enough substitutes. And that was a, another piece of the puzzle to me that made me realize when it comes to the success of the next generation, and in this case, academic success, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And so over that coffee time, um, Andy says to me, wow, have you ever considered running for Seminole County School Board. And I said to Andy, Andy, I've thought of never running for Seminole (laughs) County School Board. It's
1: not crossed my mind once.
0: Right? I mean, we've seen the videos of passionate parents, and I don't, you know, I'm a parent too, and passion's a good thing. We want passionate parents. But we've seen the videos of the parents screaming. Yeah, like in at,
1: Loudoun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in Virginia. And so, uh,
0: but the more we got to talking about it, he said, would you at least talk to uh, the the current board member who's not running again for her seat, and it would be the seat that I would be filling. I said, I'd at least be willing to have that conversation. And very quickly, one thing turned into another. And I think like a lot of us do when we're making important decisions like that, You've got a filter. You've got boxes that you're checking. And some of that comes down to leadership and what would I be stepping into. And the reality is Seminole County Public Schools has an enormous uh, positive history. Um, It's been an A-rated school for a very long time. And that doesn't come without a lot of sacrifice and work. And there's a lot of great board members that are giving and sacrificing to uh, keep that A-rating. You know, a lot of us know it takes a lot to get to the top. It takes as much or more work to stay at the top. And so after I checked enough boxes, talked to the family and, um, and just felt like this was a really good opportunity to add to, uh, the 25 years that I'd already been doing with students and parents over the years at Northland, it just made sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A next step, a next step, a new chapter.
1: Yeah. And well, that's really exciting. And we all now know uh, if we didn't know before loudon and this last election there we saw the importance of p- parents who are wanting to step back in and and take a, if take the right role that god has given them as parents over their kids agenda over their curriculum and what's going on in schools by and large it's concerning right now across Absolutely. the country
0: it, it it is concerning and i would say it's never the wrong time to get involved and bring the passion, you know, give me a parent who is invested, not just for their children, but who actually wants to see success for all the kids in our community. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that we have that kind of passion. I think what we've got to figure out is how to, how to hear those voices, which are critical and then also at the same time, make sure that especially when it comes to something like a school board, how to keep the priorities of a school board on track, mm-hmm. you know. And so one of the one of the results I think from from the pandemic that we're still experiencing is people are upset for good reason over a lot of different issues, a lot of frustrations, inflation, uh, mental health, um, violence, and. Um, all
1: these gun shootings, there's so much going on.
0: So, so everybody's amped up, everybody's concerned, and there's not a lot of great outlets for people to voice those concerns. And so I think we've got to do better at listening and creating accountability so that we can follow up with people's concerns so that it's not just lip service, Mm -hmm. but we can actually engage them because the reality is our communities are filled with incredibly talented people. Some of its tapped, some of its untapped mm-hmm. resources, ideas, problem solving. So I think the 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 role of of the school board should be to keep students the priority, academic development, the the A one focus, uh, and safety and safety for sure. And mm-hmm. so, um, sadly, that's that's again another point of, of discussion that our country's having to go through right now.
1: It really is. Now, when you think about yourself as a believer, I loved what you said about your daughter and the, the whole thing about that particular industry that she's studying gaming art and the the, uh, the like the rise of involvement in, in that kind of a scenario with young people. We, they do need Christians. They need people who are believers who are in there and helping to populate the thought and the kind of like the mitigation of everything that's coming out. How true is that for the school boards to have a believer, someone who believes in God? Do you find a lot of resistance to the fact that you're, you're coming from it as a former pastor, someone who believes in Jesus?
0: Well, I think, I think there, there's always when you're putting yourself out there For a role like this, an elected uh, position, there is scrutiny. There should be, you know. Unfortunately, uh, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you've made all the best choices. Doesn't mean that um, there's not some things under the hood that needs to be looked at. And so, I think that's wise for any candidate. We need to be looking at all of our elected officials Mm -hmm. in that way. Uh, As a believer, you know, I think. I think it depends on the type of person. Most of what I get questions about right now isn't so much about my faith background. It's really, I find it very interesting that the first questions that people ask me are literally, they don't even necessarily want to get to know me. They, They have a set of questions that they're trying to quickly categorize me in. Yeah. And so um, most of the questions I get, and and Mike, I don't know how, if you still even think about this stuff, but literally I would say one of the biggest questions I get asked most often is where do you stand on masks? Yeah. And, and I... And it took me aback at first. I'm like, you know, we're like, we're not wearing masks. We're in Florida, like, right? Um, the great
1: state of Florida, right? The great free state of Florida.
0: And we're not out of it yet, right? I right. mean, just reading some stats yesterday, but it's summer. We've got we're not enclosed and indoors. And I think there's a lot that you have to look at per state on on issues like that. But all of a sudden, I realized that what people are generally trying to do
1: is put you in a bucket as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Put you in a box and box you in while you're in that box. Right, right. <laughs> kind of close the lid, if you will.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so I think what I try to do is is be transparent, answer honestly. Uh, I lean into, <laughs> I mean, thousands of hours of listening to students and parents over a lot of years and realizing that a lot of the issues that we're dealing with today They've been around for a very long time. In fact, I was thinking about this when I was driving over. Do you remember the show West Wing? Yes. Love that show. And I've just started watching it again.
1: Martin Sheen, I think. Martin Sheen Mm -hmm. was
0: the president. A lot of great actors in there. Late 90s, if I remember Mm -hmm. right. Uh, I started watching that again recently. It is copy-paste. All the issues that they address in that show. Isn't that something? And and I don't know if that encourages us or discourages us, but <laughs> we, it just shows the, the cyclical nature yeah. of these issues. And they're so complex. Yeah,
1: it's, it's easy to look back at old shows like that and go, well, they were dealing more than I thought or remembered right, right. with current problems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's really true.
0: But I think, I think even in the last segment, we were talking about listening, learning, leaning in. Man, that's what we got to do.
1: I love that. It's one of your points that you made in the last segment. Got to lean in even to people that might see it differently than you. Sean Cooper is my guest today, has been my guest. Thank you so much for being with me here, Sean. My pleasure.
0: I really enjoyed it.
1: Give us the website for your candidacy.
0: So you can check me out on voteforcooper.com and uh, that's where you
1: can see
0: all the details of what's going on.
1: Yep. Vote dot com. Sean Cooper, my guest and friends, thank you for being with us as well. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.